And we're back with Brown's po- Brown's Cast, uh, the special bi week edition. Um, I'm your host Taylor Jedrzak, and I'm joined again for the midweek pod by Gerbs and Matt Miller. Hey, What's up? But for for this uh, special uh, extended edition, we are joined by uh, some uh, WFNY royalty this week. We got. Uh, Craig Lindahl and Andrew Snit- Snitke. How, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I like that we have less Browns to talk about, so we got more people on. I like it. <laughs> well, I just I, I've been waiting to overreact to the nothing that uh, Andrew Barry said earlier this week. So this is my <laughs> chance. Hey, you gotta you gotta take the you gotta take the form when you get it right. <laughs> um. So how has everyone kind of been this week? How is, uh, what's your kind of general feeling about how we've gone through four games and just kind of the vibe you've gotten? I guess for me to start off, I, I just feel like it's been kind of a, a weird mixed bag through four weeks. Like it feels like there's not a lot to like truly like the, uh, to truly like get our, a grasp on because the offense has been in such a weird state. I know the defense we can really get get a good grasp on, but I feel like the offense as a whole through four weeks has been in such a weird state that I don't even know where they're at right now because we we saw one good Deshaun game, one bad one, one that was pretty much covered in rain. So we a don't wash. really know where the offense truly is. <laughs> yeah, and then we had a DTR game, which we didn't want. Oh, no, none of us wanted that, especially after what happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it was easy, but there there was the the contingent that was excited to see him play on Sunday morning. I think they. Well, I think I was the at the stadium. Quarter, they were, they were excited until it started. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait. Gerbs, <laughs> <laughs> what, what what's been your feelings? Uh, you know, I'm fine. It was. An eventful week because of the, you know, colossal screw-up of Devansky saying his true feelings on who actually decided they were not going to play and then Andrew Barry having to try to cover it up. Uh, you know, but it's, it's Browns being Browns. And, uh, you know, it's just fun seeing the, the inner workings of some of the things that uh, we are so used to seeing. Um, yeah, I mean... Do I actually believe what I just said? Who knows? Uh, you know, but uh, it, it it was it was interesting nonetheless to hear uh, some of the things that came out of not only Brown's Twitter because of the takes that can flame out, um, but also just the actual organization that uh, was there. Um, I mean, I had a kid come up to me in the hallway this week and say, "Did you hear uh, Deshaun Watson?" saw the game plan that Stefanski had and that's why he uh, said he couldn't go. My dad said that, hear it on the radio. I don't know. Did you hear that? And I was like, yeah, man, possibly. Who knows? I sure don't. (laughs) But like, that sounds like a gold hammer take. (laughs) Right. But like, you know, love that it was a like 16, 17 year old kid walking up to me. He knows that like, I like the Browns. I talked about the Browns whenever, you know, he comes into the room, but like just the, the weirdness that the 
Brown's organization puts its fans through and the things that the fans generally seem to love to create uh, drama wise. Um, yeah, it, it's by weeks and weeks off are never actually weeks off because we have to deal with, you know, stuff like this. So what about you, Craig? Uh, so for everything that I feel like we've learned about the Browns so far, like the defense is good. We know that, uh, I feel like we, we don't know anything else. We have two games that essentially, I feel like we couldn't learn anything because they were nullified by weird things. You know, the Nick Chubb game, I, are you really going to draw too many conclusions when your biggest star gets knocked out and, and rocks the entire foundation of the team? Like you kind of just chalk that one up and then. Deshaun Watson, his shoulder's not good enough to play, and so we have a DTR game. Are you going to chalk that up and feel like you learned anything about the team in that game? No, not so much. So we've got this incredible defense that I think we all relatively believe in, and we've got the one good performance against Tennessee, but you'd have to be a crazy person to just say, well, that's the offense. We just need to wait for it to show back up again the next time Deshaun Watson takes the field. So we've watched four weeks. And we just still haven't learned as much as we want to learn. And I think that's as much of the frustration with the team as anything else is that everybody wants to know exactly what this team is now. And you just, it's not how things work. You don't get to have that. You have to wait. You have to see what they do. Um, and, and obviously we're all thinking about San Francisco next, which is maybe, one, maybe the toughest game of the entire year on their calendar. And so I guess they're kind of lucky to have it after the bye week, but we'd feel a lot better if we felt like we understood what this offense actually was. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole lot of uh, it's a whole lot of football that's been played for not a whole lot of conclusions, John, except for defense good. And we miss Nick Chubb. <laughs> Nick Chubb also good. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? Um, I don't know. I think I'm like the most Zen Browns fan that there is about this season. Um, They're 500. And I just feel like that's exactly where they deserve to be the way they've played. They've played like a 500 team. Um, You know, I agree with parts of it. I think of everything you guys have said so far for me, I look at it as really the Browns have played one normal game this year. And that's the Tennessee game. And that's the game they look the best. So if you are trying to look for, the glass is half full. That's where I would go to. Um, but I do think it's a little bit alarming that it seems like if anything goes wrong, like it just cascades and everything falls apart after that. And, you know, I understand, you know, when you lose your starting quarterback right before the game, you know, that's going to throw a wrench in things and you're starting a rookie who's never started before against the Baltimore Ravens, maybe the most like, well-prepared franchise that there is, you know, if anybody's going to destroy a rookie quarterback, it's going to be Baltimore. Um, And, you know, but, and then, you know, you lose Nick Chubb in a game, the heart and soul of your team. Of course, that means we felt it as fans. There was a cloud over us the rest of that game. And it's, it's hard to imagine the emotional impact when you're a player, that stuff is hard to overcome. So you can excuse any of it if you want to. Um, But really like, I think the biggest thing I feel is, Through four games, yes, you start to have an idea of what your team is, but really, like, we still don't really know what this Browns team is. And uh, I don't even know, like, 
I looking ahead, like I don't even know in the San Francisco game if we're going to really learn that much. And that if we if we go out, and we beat San Francisco. Yeah, that's going to feel great. But I don't know if we should really read too much into any like any one game yet until they really string together two, three, four games in a row where they kind of look the same and you kind of get a feel for, okay, this is what they're trying to do. I mean, these game plans have been all over the place. Um, we we have no idea what Kevin Stefanski's ideal offense right now is with this personnel. And uh, so all of these things are just going to take time and we just have to let this stuff play out and see before we make any like big conclusions as to what this Browns team is. I know a lot of people like to use the bye week as like, you know, that week to kind of, sit back and like really reflect and figure out what you are. But when your bye week comes in the fifth week of the season, it's just really too early to kind of take stock in anything. I think for the Browns, they're just looking at this as a reset for some of the issues that they've had in these first, uh, first four games. And they're going to just say, okay, get that behind us. And hopefully, you know, we can just have a quarterback start the rest of these games and figure it out as we go. Yeah. I get the feeling that there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of people, especially on, the infernal soapbox that is Twitter um, (laughs) that are taking a long equation that is a football season and trying to solve for X when you're missing like five variables within the problem. And they're just filling the variables in with their own narrative and trying to get to a conclusion. And because we've only played four weeks, I think we've kind of hit that hit a wall where, people are drawing their own conclusions and just screaming from the rooftops that, Oh, they're fine. Oh, they suck really bad. Oh, Stefanski should have been fired three weeks ago. <laughs> like it's, it, it's a, it's a weird time to have a buy when you haven't had a consistent play. Um, what, what's kind of been, what were, what were your expectations to this point in the season and has the team kind of met them kind of a, a quick answer here. Um, in a way, I think they're a little below expectations. I felt like two and two was the floor, but with the way things have played out, it's been a very weird two and two (laughs) for me. I do kind of like how the team is performing to Andrew's point. Um, you know, week three was the most normal game and it was the best that they've looked and it was a, you know, masterful performance over a team that, you know, they, everybody thought was going to maybe be a, a problem in the AFC South. So I'm happy, you know, like, like Matt said, two and two was kind of the, the like baseline hope going into the bye week. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm happy with some of the performance, uh, but obviously we could have, we could have seen a team that was three and one, four and zero at all the things broken, right. But uh, that's not how that goes. Yeah, I kind of thought the Browns should have been three and one. Um, I can excuse the two wacky games, but as the season moves along, you can't really you can't have any more games that you have to excuse before you've eliminated yourself from playoff contention. So it, it just it reduces the margin for error. Um, so I think they should I think they should be at least three and one. Um, I understand why they're two and two, and they're going to run out of time and excuses if they don't if they don't kind of get themselves on a run here yeah i had the i had them i i had them at two and two in my predictions um but i had them losing to the Bengals and uh beating the steelers um 
then I had the other two results the same. I didn't think they would look the way they looked, but those games, but that was kind of how I had it. So record wise, yeah, they're pretty much where I expected them to be. Um, but, uh, you know, like I still in my heart of hearts believe if Nick Chubb doesn't get hurt, they win that Pittsburgh game. I mean, they Chubb was killing them, uh, before before that injury and I just with the way they couldn't move the ball I just have no doubt in my mind they win that game um and so I think at worst they'd be three and one and I do I I even think the Baltimore game would look different I don't know if they would have won that game without Watson but I certainly think it would have looked different um if Chubb was there so you know it's it's the nature of being a 500 team like if you if you want to look for the bright side you can be like well you know these this is what happened in the two wins and we should have a couple more wins but if you're kind of on the other side you'd say well they have two losses and man like you know if who knows if you know joe burrow was healthy and the weather was different maybe they'd be one and three you know so i mean you can kind of view it however you want with the butterfly effect if nick chubb doesn't get hurt maybe deshaun watson's shoulder never gets hurt and he plays game four True. So they should be 4-0. Good point. 4-0. If Jed Wills makes a block, then... <laughs> That's yeah. the butterfly. Then Jack Conklin is That's not injured. The, right. These are, yep. these are the actual sliding doors you want to talk about. If Joe Thomas doesn't make the Browns draft, Jed will. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait, we can't play Joe Thomas. That's always it. You know, Joe Thomas is infallible, sir. I don't know what you. Yeah, let's not let's not throw Joe Thomas on this. The man's been retired. You guys, I heard it. I heard it driving back from that Browns game. A caller called in and said this was all oh, Joe God. Thomas's fault. So that's why I never listen to the the post game show. <laughs> that's why I never listen to it. No, we are our own post game show. <laughs> um, we are the one who post game. I don't know. I mean, I can throw out some caller hot takes if we want. If, if we need that role here, <laughs> everybody, everybody thought my uh, my Kevin Stefanski, Eric Mangini thoughts were hot takes. So, well, that's actually that's that's why we invited you on. Um, that was actually a fairly spirited discussion in the in the uh, the writer side, writer, editor, owner, general staff side of the Discord this week. Um, I kind of lobbed a grenade in there uh, and left. <laughs> As you do, unfortunately. <laughs> and then Craig and Andrew went on about an hour's worth of discussing the merits of Kevin Stefanski. Um, what do you want me to recap the take? <laughs> you can you can go ahead and recap the take and we'll go from there. All right, so those who know me and know my discourse on waiting for next year over the years know that I am Mr. Stability. I I want I'm frustrated with the number of coaches that have been rolled through and and fired uh systematically over and over. Uh probably the worst examples for me is Rob Chudzinski after just one season. Um nobody can be the best version of their, themselves unless you give them a long period of time to become that with a with a, a feeling that their job is not always on the line. And so I enjoy the fact that Kevin Stefanski has had some time. He's gone through some different quarterbacks. He's gone through some different uh, rosters. And, and I think that that's a smart move. However, I do think that there are some things that Kevin Stefanski is not particularly good at. And I think you're, we're starting to see some patterns and places, uh, room for improvement and potential opportunities to get better. And I used an example 
and I'm going to I'm going to give the the precursor here so that Andrew doesn't jump all over me. Eric Mangini is not a good NFL head coach. Like in total, he is not good. He uh when he's in in control of the personnel, it's horrible. His ego is the, is the size of the sun. He rubs players the wrong way. He's not a great leader of men. However, he is a football savant. He is a he is an undeniably smart football guy. And so when he would take his rosters and he would go against the Patriots or he would go against uh, the New Orleans Saints when the New Orleans Saints were the New Orleans Saints, he would craft fake punts and all these different ideas. He would run Josh Cribbs out of the out of the um, the Wildcat. He would do whatever it took to win a game with whatever you know deck of cards he had in his hand on any given day. Those ra- those rosters were kind of crap. Let's, let's, yeah. let's be honest in retrospect here. <laughs> and I think Kevin Stefanski is a good offensive mind. I think he schemes guys open. Overall, I like his offense. I think when, when his team and roster are compromised, he lacks the ingenuity, the imagination to do whatever it takes to win on a given day. I think we've seen that most recently with DTR. He, I don't feel like he adjusted the game plan enough for that fifth-round rookie quarterback to try and do whatever it took to win that game. And I think you can even look back, and this is not a defense of Baker Mayfield, but you can look back to Baker's last game where uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he takes nine sacks with a compromised shoulder and you can say, hey, maybe Kevin Stefanski doesn't always adjust his game plan for the deprecated roster and situation he's in. And that's all I'm saying. I'm saying Eric Mangini, for all his faults, which there were numerous, and I'm not saying he should have the job, was capable of looking at uh, his pair of twos in his poker hand and adjusting his scheme to give his guys the best chance to win a game. I don't think Kevin Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski acts like the car is in perfect working condition every single time his team takes the field. And that's just not the case. It's just not the case. He needs to find ways to scramble and work with what he has on a given day to do whatever it takes to not waste opportunities to win games in the NFL. I think if, uh, if Craig would have, started his thing in the discord prefacing it as hard that Mangini is not a good coach. Maybe my reaction would have been a little different. Um, you know, I look to me, I look at it as coaches are, well, for, okay. I'm going to preface mine is saying this. I always come across as probably more of a Stefanski defender than I really am. But I look at coaches a lot like players in that, you know, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. They have good games. They have bad games. And, you know, you have to sort of decide at the end of the day at large, you know, is it better to have them around than not have them around? And <clears throat> I agree with everything Craig just said about Mangini. Um, I think Mangini's secret strength really was his ability to adapt in game. Um, the Browns always adapted to the game situation under Mangini. And I think that is definitely Stefanski's number one biggest weakness. I don't think it's his game planning. I think his game planning is good. Uh, I think the issue is, is when a team adjusts or when that game plan doesn't work the way Stefanski thinks it was going to work, he seems to be slow to, well, maybe not even slow, but a lot of times he doesn't change. He's almost too stubborn and wants to stick to this principle that he believes in because he thinks, you know, well, this is going to work 
regardless. And, you know, you can have a perfect game plan to beat the opponent, but if your players can't execute that game plan, um, you know, what's the point of that, right? So I think that's where he runs into trouble and you sort of see it. Like, I think his principles are fine. I think the way he wants to run an offense is mostly fine. Um, I, I think he's a better offensive coach than Eric Mangini is, but he doesn't have that ability to adapt in game. So that's his weakness. But from a, his strength standpoint, like I've never heard the players complain about him. Um, in uh, you know, I think he just brings this level-headed uh, sort of just stable feel to the organization. And after watching years and years and years of just these absolute clown shows that we had coaching this team, like the reason I'm like hesitant to say, well, we should definitely get rid of Stefanski is because like I've been through that. And with the talent on this team, I'm not sure it's worth the risk. I view Stefanski in a lot of ways, you know, I'm a big Cavs fan, obviously. I view him almost as like a Karis LeVert kind of situation where, like, you know, you, you know, coming into the season, it was like, well, there's probably better players than Karis. Not probably. There are better players than Karis LeVert. But, like, are we – how confident – if we let Karis LeVert go, how confident are we that we're going to bring in somebody that's going to be better? Can we find that guy right now to fit the window that the Cavs are in? And I look at that with the Browns, like – if we get rid of Stefanski and you tell me, you know, well, hey, for some reason the Dolphins are getting rid of Mike McDaniel and we can get him, cool, sign me up. Like, let's do that. Or I the think Steelers the city are getting of Cleveland rid of Mike. Start a GoFundMe for that one. Yeah, <laughs> or you know, the Steelers, the Steelers fans are mad at Mike Tomlin. If so, if they want to get rid of him, yeah, let's get rid of Stefanski and let's get Mike Tomlin. Sign me up. But if we're getting rid of Kevin Stefanski and bringing in another coordinator who's never coached before. Like, that's a huge risk for this team in this window. Like, I view our window, to me, as much as I love, you know, Nick Chubb and, you know, people will look at Deshaun Watson and say, that's the window. To me, Miles Garrett is the window. Miles Garrett is the best Browns player I've ever seen in my life. He's a generational talent. He single-handedly impacts games in ways I've never seen a Browns defensive player do before. I mean, we can all n rattle off games where Miles Garrett made the play when we needed that play. So to me, Miles Garrett is that window. And if at the end of this season, if this all falls apart, we get we have to get rid of Stefanski and even Andrew Barry. And like we're just all starting over with all these guys. Like that window's probably gone. And I think that's my concern. And that's why I'm more conservative in terms of like, yeah, I don't think Kevin Stefanski is a top five NFL coach, but I think he's probably good enough that I'm fine with us keeping what what they have going and letting him continue to sort of lead this organization. How, how yeah. much do you I think am... his rigidity is is holding the team back at this point? And that could, anyone can answer that. It's not just for you, you guys. I'll go first. I don't think it's even rigidity. I think I think he just need probably needs more experience. Um, I still wonder if he should be calling the plays on Sunday, but I'm with Andrew. Like I prefer stability. I really do. Yeah. I'm not looking to run Stefanski out, even with my criticism of him. I just think it's an opportunity. And, you know, Andrew brought up Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin wasn't Mike Tomlin in year one, two, three. The The luxury of being with the Steelers is you get to year 10, 11, 12. Like yeah, you get a chance to become the best version of yourself. You get a chance to build the standard that we hear about all the time. Right. Um, I, I do agree with Craig that it's 
it's not necessarily rigidity. I I would like if Stefanski gave up play calling. Um, I do think he has the uh, innate ability to scheme guys open, and his offenses. I mean, he he has the the butafides to show that his offenses work in ways that uh, you know that make good quarterbacks better and and crappier ones good um and we we've seen that you know throughout the league um to uh to andrew's Karis point uh miller and i were talking about uh ramon loriano in the discord um and the sal- uh, the salary arbitration numbers that, and projections that were coming out and um you know to, to bring up yet another sport that we're not you know talking about on this podcast uh <laughs> We, uh, we discussed how, um, you know, Laureano is, was, is not a great player. He's like a one to two war player. And he, but his salary number, his arbitration numbers are probably going to be in around like five mil next year. Mm-hmm. If, a, if you're in, in Major League Baseball, you're paying about eight mil per war. Uh, and you know, again, this is a football podcast, so baseball guys can come at me if they want to. Or but, Ethan. um, he's in New York, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, he uh, Loriano is going to be a good value for a team out there. He shouldn't be the only thing Cleveland does to that point. If it, for the Browns, Stefanski is a really good coach. Is he a great coach to the point of, you know, Belichick or Tomlin or, you know, the other guys that we've, you know, that you can Harbaugh. mention off the top of your head, Harbaugh's and all, and all those. Maybe we just don't know because we need to actually let him get through these growing pains of maybe I should give up play calling and have somebody else take over. Maybe I need to have some, you know, uh, 20 year old kid who plays Madden tell me what happens when my what to do when my uh, time's running down in a, in a quarter uh, or you know what to, somebody needs to help me with changes. I, I've made mention on this podcast before of how you know, Stefanski and the Browns organization last year uh, reminded me of Denzel Washington's character and remember the Titans. You know we've got six plays on offense and that's what we're going to run and we're just going to run these six plays because they work. Stefanski has a really, seems to have a really hard time when stuff hits the fan and all of a sudden the option play is not there. And, you know, we, we saw that with Chubb going out in week two. We saw that with Watson going out in week four. It's really, I, 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 I am not a coach. I've never been a coach. I, at any level, um, I don't know how easy or hard it is to throw out a game plan, but I don't, I don't know how you have a game plan for Deshaun Watson when all reports were that he couldn't lift his arm over his, couldn't lift his shoulder to throw a ball on Monday or Tuesday. And you're going into a week with, yeah, he's going to play because he told me he's going to play. And this is the game plan that you have where you're, you're, you know, having a, a fifth year, a, a fifth round pick rookie. Um, coming in cold, you know, what was he doing during the week prepping? If he was, if he was taking the, the first team snaps, which he feasibly was, 
why was he why was the game plan not better schemed up for him and less for Watson? So, you know, uh, it it just seems like the fancy gets the the deer in headlights look and you know, plans the work, works the plan because it's worked in the past. But uh it's it's a little bit harder to do that when, you know, like I said, those those curveballs are coming. And maybe DTR choked. Maybe he threw the ball 40% worse on game day than he did all week long. We have no idea. We have zero clue. All right. Not- throws certainly would say that. Yeah, like that. that's where I – yeah, I, I do agree with some of your points. I feel like sometimes with Stefanski, he do- I, I definitely feel like that there's that slow adjustment period that doesn't happen in-game. And I, But I do feel like with – DTR game yesterday. I just feel like with his performance, I just think it was like the performance was so bad. I couldn't even tell you if it was just a game game plan issue because like, sure. He, he looked terrible. Like sure. It looked bad because the plays looked bad, but I mean, at the same time, he's a fifth round rookie. And when you're, <laughs> and from all reports and I'm getting the impression that they felt that he could start up until 1130 that, to me, I just feel like once that once that got thrown out, it's it's just like I I don't know how much you can truly adjust on the fly, especially when it's like two hours notice. But I definitely agree to the point that at times he's slow to adjust to things when things kind of like like hit the fan pretty much. But I think the Sunday game is just basically like I, I can't really take away from it because it's a rookie and like. He tried his best in my mind. <laughs> I think um, <clears throat> looking oh, looking at that, I, looking at that Baltimore game, I do think that Baltimore game is probably the singular most damning game against Stefanski that he's had, and that's because I very strongly agree with what Gerb said. That as much as you want to say, well, Watson, he didn't know until right at the last minute that Watson wasn't going to go. Watson didn't practice that week so i'm assuming the browns practiced so dtr was in there taking those snaps uh were they just having him emulate watson's game plan or were they you know and then you know to craig's point but we don't know what he looked like in those practice maybe he was running those plays and executing them perfectly in practice and stefanski just thought he could handle it and then he um, saw patrick queen and pooped his pants a little yeah yeah like you know, the first game I, jitters got to him <laughs> And that could very well be because I'm telling you, like he made his, you know, he made his first couple throws, and then you know Baltimore was really giving him the middle of the field. They were just daring him to throw into that middle of the field, and then, you know, the first one that should have been intercepted was a bad throw. I mean, the guy was open, and it was just a bad throw. I think the one that did get intercepted, I'm trying to remember now uh, which was also was a bad. Throw. He tried to. He tried to. Force like a crossing uh, throw to a crossing route, and it bounced off a defender. Yeah, and tipped and into the arms of a defender. And I think from that point, that that was where it was just like his confidence was gone. And that's where you need to be able to adapt and say, okay, let's give him something that he can do. Um, you know, let's try running the ball a little bit more. You know, that was a game where you know they were like, you know, they had that holding call on that first run play, and it was a good running play. And I still think it was a pretty weak hold. It was, I think it was Amari that got called uh, for yeah. holding. Yeah, and it was. I thought that was a pretty weak holding call, but 
it almost seemed like that scared them away from going back to the run. I would have liked to see him do something just to let DTR get a little bit of confidence again. But instead, it was like, all right, just go out, forget about it, and just keep executing the same game plan. And he just showed he couldn't do it. And not in that game anyways. He wasn't ready for it, it or if he wasn't capable. But he didn't get the job done. And that's why I think it's a it was a bad game for Stefanski because he – it, maybe he didn't know if he was going to have Watson or not, but he had to know there was a very real chance he wasn't going to have Watson. You have to have a game plan for DTR as some kind of a contingency. DTR is a decent runner too. I like may, maybe have more of that stuff in the playbook, but what is there any merit you think to the argument that's kind of come out in hindsight to, well, why didn't we just play PJ Walker? He's at least started games in the league. Well, this this is the other place where I felt like uh, I kind of got in your business a little bit in uh, on Discord because you said something a little bit snide, just a little bit snide, Taylor, about how nobody was complaining when they traded Josh Dobbs, so now you don't get to complain now. And it's like, okay, uh, Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are the professional football guys. I'm a schlub with a website, podcast, and an iPhone. <laughs> And like, it's not up to me to know whether they should have kept Josh Dobbs or not. It's up to them to know that if they start their rookie uh, fifth rounder in week four, that they're, they're horribly, horribly putting their team behind the eight ball and that they should have kept a more veteran backup, one who's gone on to start games for Arizona, one who they valued enough to have with this team twice over the course, I think, I think two separate times over, over the course of two seasons. And so I do think the criticism of Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski is fair on the Josh Dobbs trade. I don't care about a fifth round draft pick. If the Browns could have had a, a, a more serviceable starter who won that game against Baltimore, it would have been better. Uh, wins would have are better than losses. I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if there's any argument there. And, uh, so I, 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 I do think there's been like maybe a little too much kind of pushing that argument off. Like that it doesn't have validity because nobody complained at the time when it happened. And you're not the only one who said that Ken Carmen said it, some other people on the radio said it. And I just, I reject that altogether because that, like whether Andrew Gerbs or myself says something when a trade happens, like we're not even in, we weren't even a training camp this year. We're just guys who like read, yeah. read words online and watch videos that poorly shot by beat reporters. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can see that argument. I think generally, I think I'm, when I, when I make those snide remarks on discord, it's, <laughs> it's my safe space for, <laughs> commenting on the the uh until the south, i get there the south park the, <laughs> like the, that's my comment on the uh the people like in south park when they go rabble 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 because <laughs> that's kind of what brown's twitter turns into like that's true it, it's all it's like a, a long series of what about isms and it's just frustrates me but like i i see i see why you'd want to keep josh jobs around um i do think that they saw enough out of DTR in training camp, and I think we all saw a decent amount of DTR in training camp in preseason that we were like, yeah, well, why don't we just keep him and make him the backup because he's played so the well. Sa the same thing the Steelers saw in Kenny Pickett. Yeah, exactly. I think <laughs> and I think I said that during the game last week. I was like, oh, shit, we got picketed. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow they still beat us. Uh, 
Hmm. Was it because of Kenny Pickett? No, definitely <laughs> not. Um, I I do think too. Um, one 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 last thing I want to say regarding Stefanski, and uh, this is a bit of a cop out. I can even admit it, but um, you know, because I don't think I'm not sure any NFL coach, other than maybe Zach Taylor, gets to have normal seasons. I think you know every team goes through adversity, and you know, or yeah, and you know, where something something goes wrong, throws a bomb in your plans, and you kind of have to, you know, get through that. But Stefanski has really had a bunch of very abnormal seasons. You know, his first year is COVID and he's dealing with that. Uh, the second year, Baker hurts his shoulder in week two. And uh, they we just go through that whole struggle, that whole season of dealing with Baker's shoulder and Baker being totally inefficient. Baker losing and, himself. Uh, and yeah, and I and I do think that that's maybe perhaps uh, one of the things like when you talk about the learning process that Stefanski's going through this year, when it's like okay, you know, we could try to convince Deshaun to play with that shoulder, but I've seen this happen before, and I don't want to go through that again. Then last year obviously is uh, the most abnormal season you could possibly have. Um, and now this year you lose Nick Chubb in week two, and then Watson, you're dealing with the Watson injury. So, you know, again, I'm not using these as excuses. I'm not saying this is anything special to the Browns. Like everything goes through this, but like, I do think the degree of abnormality that Stefanski has had to weather has been like quite a bit. And I think he's mostly handled a lot of these things really well. I think, I think like he really shined in that COVID season, like, just dealing with everything that with that the teams really seemed together that season and uh i i think that you know he handled that better than a lot of nfl coaches did um you know including guys with a lot of experience but uh you know so it's not to say well you know we'll just keep waiting for that perfect season because again unless you're zach taylor that doesn't happen um but uh i just think that it's you know i don't know I sit here and I look at like, I, you know, on Bill Simmons podcast this week, he was, they were complaining about Bill Belichick and, you know, Simmons saying that he's not a good coach anymore. And, you know, you hear the Steelers fans starting to, you know, start to question, you know, Mike Tomlin and, uh, you know, all, all these really good coaches that their, their fans are always unhappy with them. And it kind of goes with the territory and it seems louder sometimes because we're Browns fans. And so we hear all the Browns talk, but to some degree, I do think like a lot of this is just normal. This is, this is NFL. Like these, the margin of difference in, between a good and a bad NFL team is so razor thin. And the margin of difference between a good and a bad NFL coach is so razor thin. And it's easy to react when it's bad. And it's easy to react when it's good. You know, you'd sit there and watch a Tennessee game and say, man, you know, Stefanski coached a great game. He outcoached Mike Vrabel, you know, one of the more well-respected coaches. And then you turn around and you have that Baltimore game. So, I think if I had advice for like the general fans out there, it would be just to try to level that out a little bit and like, just let the season play out. Let's see what, like, we don't need to worry about firing Kevin Stefanski. Now they're not going to fire him now. They're not going to fire him mid season. Like you just got to let this play out, see where it's at. And then we can reassess and, and go from there. And to your point, you just mentioned the Patriots. We've been talking about the Ravens and the Steelers. Bill Belichick's in his 23rd year. I'm looking this up right now. Um, Mike Tomlin is, this is his 16th season at age 51. Um, John Harbaugh is 61, but this is his 15th year 
Okay. And Ron Harbaugh is 61. He's 61. He looks good for 61. Wow. He looks good for 61. Um, wow, 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 wow. But, but I, I, you know, I guess my point stands, you know, and, and maybe there is an argument to be had with Bill Belichick because he's 71 years old now. <laughs> You know, <laughs> at some point, you nobody gets nobody gets the uh, the the Disney ending um, at the end of the road. Uh, pretty much, uh, hardly anybody gets the Disney ending, um, and so it, it's reasonable to 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 question. But these these organizations that have been the most consistent over the last twenty years have also maintained their coaches essentially for the last twenty years. Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's easier to maintain your coach when you're on the positive side of 500 every year. Um, I, yep. I would say, and, and I'm, I'm very, I'm not anti Stefanski at this point either. Um, I just happen to lob a grenade into the chat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Every day. It seems like <laughs> apparently it's my specialty. Um, I mean, when you're as easily triggered as I am, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I, I do wonder I, the the hot seat in the fan base almost doesn't matter because this fan base has become so mercurial. Like, I don't know what has driven the fan base to this point. Like, I feel like it was for 20 years when we sucked. Yeah, it was, well, they suck. So why, why should we put that much effort into it? But like in the last four years that they've been good, it's been up and down roller coaster from the peak of heaven to the pits of hell every week, every time they win or lose. So, I feel like we need to think as a as a uh, fan base need to figure out a way to level that out, and I think Craig just said that as well. But here's uh, here's the hot take, though. I actually think Browns fans are more patient than they have been in a long time. Right now, <laughs> I I have a theory because Andrew Barry said we wanted to be <laughs> Andrew. To be Andrew has a theory. I have a theory on this too. I think because the Browns were so bad for so long and we sat there, we watched these other teams and it looked easy against us. I think we Browns fans developed this idea that good teams don't struggle, that it's easy mm-hmm. for good, almost like a college situation. You know, I, I think a lot of times it seems like Browns fans want the Browns to be like Ohio state. And you know, the NFL is not college football. The the good teams struggle. You might have one or two teams every year that are just clearly better than everybody else. And yeah, maybe for them, it is a little bit easy. The Browns aren't on that level. They're, they are not on the level of the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers. Like, they're not on that level right now. And there's not one thing that you can change that will put them on that level. But so the Browns are going through that struggle that all these good teams go through. You know, the Cowboys look like one of the best teams, and then they lay an egg against the Cardinals, you know. Uh, I'm sure there's a ton more games already this year. So I just think 
you know, this idea that it should just be easy and that we should be able to just take care of business week in and week out, it doesn't usually work that way for the good teams. They struggle, they go through these through these waves. And, you know, maybe their fans are just as volatile as Browns fans are. And I'm just not, I don't follow a bunch of, you know, I don't know, Cowboys fans on Twitter. You know, I don't know how Cowboys fans react when they go through adversity, but it, it to Taylor's point, like it does just seem like they've just ride these waves of emotion so hard. And I, I just don't think it's worth it. Like, I just think you gotta at so, sometimes just take a step back and just realize like, yeah, that was a bad game. That sucked. Let's see what, what they come with next week. Yeah. And I, I can agree to your point, Andrew, because like my, my reaction after leaving the Browns game when uh, was, well, that sucked. I guess we'll just go into the bye, try to get healthy and go from there. And then I just see all these different takes where this loss felt like the biggest detriment to the season and they'll never come back from it and making all these hot takes. And, and then it, then I think I saw Jay Crawford made a stick thing about like Stefanski being like distraught that Deshaun wouldn't play and it turned into shoulder gate as I called it and I'm like god two and two should not be this stressful <laughs> why can't we be normal <laughs> <laughs> also cowboy fans don't know how to handle this because they usually have the Yankees to root for in the playoffs. <laughs> so they're just completely oblivious now, right now. Alabama Fantastic. already has two losses. Right. That's right. The Warriors and Lakers don't start playing for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I I do I do wonder how, what what do you guys think is the general level of hotness on Stefanski's seat over the course of this year? internally the fan base doesn't matter because that's going to change every week but internally where do you think do you how much pressure do you think is on him to i don't even want to say make the playoffs because saying the browns should expect to make the playoffs is hard after 25 years of watching some shit um i i think from at least in berea i think it's still like moderate because i mean two and two is it's not panic mode it shouldn't be panic mode inside there. Obviously, they got to have to sort out some things through this bye week from, like, figuring out the offense and stuff. But, like, I would not think it's as hot as the fans try to make it out to be sometimes. Like, I just – that's just my general vibe on it. I, I think it's two or three if you're going on a one to ten scale. Um, I, I think, honestly, it sounds weird, but when, when Nick Chubb went down, I think that saved a lot of the – uh, angst from the team internally because you lost such a big piece of the team that you couldn't properly grade what was coming out of it. You know, um, the same way we kind of, the same way we look at the field game of like, well, of course they lost it. They lost Nick Chubb and everybody had to stare at it, you know, and, and see it go so poorly. The, the organization can't say like, well, you have, this and this and this and this go and do it now. It's like, well, you have this been taken away from you. You have a Watson missing in week four. Um, you know, you had a, a bad weather game in a week one. Um, I think they, I think it saved him a little bit more internally. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that it was ever too really too hot, uh, you know, in, in the organization. I think like I said, two or three, nothing too major. I'm with Gerbs. I hope it's a two or a three because, you know, uh, 
amputating the coach has never worked for us so far and this is the most adult uh kind of stable coach that the browns have had since 99 and it's the one that they seem they're in the position to to give the most opportunity he works closely and well with his general manager um i i know they're not perfect and the roster is not perfect but they seem to have a great working relationship there's not a power struggle everybody seems to know their role and be aiming in the right in this in the in the same direction even if they haven't gotten there yet so i hope not only do i think it's probably a two or a three i hope it's like a two or a three i can't believe that i'm gonna make this point and not craig but from andrew barry's perspective i think it's a two the wild card is jimmy haslam um you know i think haslam has he does seem to be different and you know ever since the uh the uh the rebate scandal or whatever and d has kind of like stepped up her influence on the team i do think things have seemed calmer from the owner's box um but you know jimmy is still a wild card and i don't think we can put it past him that it could be creeping up a little bit higher than it is for everybody else but i think for andrew barry it's a two if even that i this is the most aligned we've seen the team structurally. I mean, from the front office down through the coaches, through the position coaches, they are all in alignment. They all view the game the same way. Um, and I think that adds a lot of, you know, maybe gives you a little bit of a longer leash, if you will. And so I think from their perspective, it it's probably very low. I think they all want to keep this thing going and just, you know, keep, keep working through all these. Uh, the issue is just, you know, it, it will, will Jimmy let them? And I think that's, that's what we have to see. And, and I'm curious too, the, I, and that does beg the question though, is it just Stefanski? Like will, would Jimmy let Barry just remove Stefanski and bring in somebody else? Or does this become a complete clean house? Does Andrew Barry also have to go? Does Paul De Podesta have to go? And you know, that, that's probably, I just probably opened a whole other can of worms, but in we're, I don't, I don't, we're running we long we here. Down, but, we don't need to go down that route today. I think, but it's out. Think, but it is out there. We, 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 we have you can't do it. No, 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 get out. Pull the cord. You know why you let's still can't. Let's go to the pick. <laughs> let's get out of here. Quick, quickly, <laughs> one more. What? What is? Um, just quick sentence. How? What um? What's kind of your outlook going forward the rest of the season? Is it still positive? I think it's still fairly positive. I mean, with this defense and the teams that we're facing on the upcoming schedule, they can if they can figure out a way in the aggregate to figure out their run game, and then the passing game slowly develops. I think with this defense, you can win a lot of games based. Your, so, solely on the defensive effort and the offense giving you enough. So I feel like they can still patchwork the offense together without Chubb and the defense can be kind of the identity of this team and be able to like get you close to 10 or 11 wins. I think you, I think the season goes as Watson goes as hard as that is to take for some people. Um, I, I think he can be good. I think he has the, we saw it in week three that Savansky and Watson were seemingly on the same page that way. And uh, I think they can make it work. And I think that I still think they can make the playoff. I think they can make a wild card. Um, the division is kind of 
sunk already by this point, unfortunately, because Baltimore has, uh, if they win against Pittsburgh, they will have three wins in the division and all on the road. So um, it's uh, it, the, the division looking looking rough at that point. But yeah, I, I I still think playoffs are a possibility, maybe not likely, but a, a definite possibility. I've already talked too much in this podcast, so I'm just going to say I agree with everything Gerbs just said. Woo. Yeah, I uh, I don't I don't predict anything. I don't make predictions, but I I do feel like this team has the roster to make the playoffs, and if they don't make the playoffs, it's going to be disappointing. And we're just going to have to see how it looks to to try and make any conclusions about um, what their future is going forward. But they absolutely have the talent and should um, compete for the playoffs this year. Still. Yeah, I, I just I look at the schedule coming up and I'm like, if you can't find a way to win eight games against the teams that you're playing, then maybe changes should be made because you play other than having to go to Baltimore and playing uh, Cincinnati late in the season, which we don't know where they'll be. I don't think they'll know where they'll be. Um, there's a whole lot of crap on that schedule. <laughs> so it depends on what it looks like and it depends on if changes can make you better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I guess we'll find out. We got we got what 13 weeks to go. Woo. Woo. Oh, league gets better. It'll be a long um but I will transition us into some game picks for this week. Um we will not be picking any Browns prop bets, but I have come up with some other ones that should be fun. Um but first, we'll do some game picks. Uh, we got Houston going to Atlanta. Atlanta is a one-point favorite. Mm. Mm. Um, I'm feeling good about the Texans in this one for some reason, so I'm going to go with Texans. I mean, it's not some reason. Texans have played well. Uh, I, I'm, I'm Texans here, too. <laughs> Uh, this is one of the, I think the only road picks I, I took on the uh, the slate that you picked here for us, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Texans are Texans are really good uh, are playing really good at least right now, and Stroud. Uh, I said Stroud was the best pro ready quarterback in the lot, and he's proven me right so far. I wanted him in Charlotte. Um, I'm going to stand by that, but uh, Scott Fitterer sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the Texans as well. Uh, Desmond Ritter just doesn't do it for me. And I don't think he does it for anyone at Atlanta either, to be completely honest. Yeah, next game. Um, we got the Titans and the Colts in Indianapolis. The Colts are a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. No, they're a two-and-a-half-point mm-hmm. dog. That Did that change? They're a two-and-a-half-point dog on uh, DraftKings right now. Okay, well, I will change that, oh, and I'll good. still take the Colts. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm Colts as well. Uh, I like the addition of Jonathan Taylor this week, seeing what he looks like for them. Um, I don't think he'll be there for long, uh, but I do like the addition of of him to their backfield. So, yeah, I I think I'll probably go Colts on that one. Um, I'm gonna. I don't know. I think the Titans are, they played well last week. Um, I don't know how much of that was being very angry that the Browns ran them out of a stadium or <laughs> if the 
the Bengals are truly that bad, but um, I, I think the Titans have a have a good enough team to be able to still beat a Colts team that people thought would be tanking. Any um, another another weird game to pick at the Saints going to New England. <laughs> Do you trust <laughs> Mac Jones? No, but I before we were no, talking, but I'll take I'll take before it. we recorded. I I was joking. No, um, <laughs> so I might go Saints with this one. <laughs> What's the spread on this one? Uh, well, I put it here as New England minus one and a half. Jeez, oh god. Uh, yeah, I would take I'd, the Saints. Here's the thing: What's Derek Carr's shoulder like right now? And he played last week. That's also another weird nugget. He played yeah. last week, but I mean, I don't think he threw further than ten yards down the field. Alvin Kamara caught thirteen balls for thirty-three yards <laughs> last week. Like <laughs> we need some James Winston you, action. You, that is an incredible stat. Good for fantasy, not for the actual football. You can't win like that. So yeah, I'm I I'm going New England just because I don't know where his arm is and I as much as I don't want to put any you know hope on Mac Jones uh yeah I'm, I'm going there and DraftKings right now has uh Patriots minus one so I don't know where the pick is but one and a half one that's fine I'm still going Patriots okay I'm gonna go with the Patriots as well I just don't think they're gonna lose at home to a team that is that mid Next um, game, I agree. Next game, we got. Um, well, this one's weird too, but it's weird for a completely different reason. Bengals going to Arizona. Arizona is a three-point dog at home. I'm taking Arizona because I don't like the Bengals. Period. That's it. It's Homer. It's all Homer. Reverse Homer stuff. Hater energy. Oh, yep. si- sign me up for that. <laughs> we like haterade on this podcast. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm, even, I'm, I'm even sick of golden boy Joe Burrow. Enough. We get it. You're good. Stop it. <laughs> Give me the home dog, man. I, the, 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 the Arizona Dobnals, uh, I don't know what you want to call them, but I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Give me, give me the, give me the Arizona Josh Dobbs. Give me it. You know what I want though? I know, I know this isn't one of your picks. I want the over 44 and a half. Can I have that? <laughs> I do think the Bengals are a good example, though, of what happens when a good team finally runs into a little bit of adversity and you're starting to see things fracture there and, you know, Chase calling out, uh, you know, whether that was calling out Burrow or the game plan, whatever it was. So, uh, you know, maybe Zach Taylor is finally figuring out that things aren't always that easy. I'm just amazed that it's taken three years of this whole uh, vision quest for defenses to figure out that uh zach taylor is not a very good offensive coach (laughs) yeah well it doesn't help that burrow can't move no he doesn't doesn't those facts get in the way of our conversation (laughs) (laughs) we were enjoying we were enjoying hating on the the Bengals. come on because they should have shut him down there's no way he should have been played at all this year to this point What's it's funny is week you're, five. You're back week in five, training you're camp. Looking at maybe starting Burrow now. 
That's where you should be looking at Frank Burrow. Uh, I training camp when Jamar Chase said that they should sit him for the first four or five games. <laughs> Maybe they should have sat him for the first four or five games. <laughs> oh, I'm going to take the Bengals just because <laughs> if there's a week, it has to be this one. We said that about the Titans because of their pass defense being just flat out terrible, and they got shut yeah, down by that. Yeah, I mean that's a good point, but like back against the wall, I guess we're going to figure out what the Bengals are really made of. They really haven't had a back against the wall game in a while, um, because they've been su- such so like the darlings. Um, and then also, who day is stupid? <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's Skyline's derivative. I hate sucks. it. Who dat was probably it. first. It was. Um, yeah, be original, Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, okay, then we then when we have an actual good football game. Cowboys at the 49ers. Uh, when I made this, the 49ers were minus four. Um, I don't know if that's still the case. Probably. Minus close. three and a half. Close enough. Three, okay, three and a half on drafting. So. Yeah. So Cowboys okay. and Niners. Game of the week. Ooh. I don't like the 49ers, but I really love how they play. So I'm saying, you know, I, I love to hate that team. Um, they're just so good and they're fun to watch, even though I don't like them. Uh, I'm taking the Niners. I have. It's funny because it's funny because I was the opposite. When, like when I was gr- growing up, like my N- NFC team was the Niners and like when they had like Alex Smith. So. I you had an NFC team, you poser. <laughs> I mean, you're. I was. 13, I know Like when your team doesn't make the playoffs. I have to chuckle because for, <laughs> for Matt, growing up, it was Alex Smith. I grew up watching Joe Montana with the Niners, so yeah, right. it makes me feel. It was, nice I was Steve Young and Jerry Rice, who I share a birthday with. So yeah, I was oh, always nice. like, "This is great." Yeah, my, my first. But I always loved the 49ers. Too. I did. I loved it. I loved the 49ers when I was a kid, too. Like, it was, again, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, like, Roger Craig. Loved those teams. Tom Rackman. My, yeah, and I always like the colors. Like, yeah. they, they just have such a they great do. uniform. My, my Browns are dead team was the Packers, though. And uh, I, it has been rekindled this year with Jordan Love uh, for whatever reason. Also, maybe Rogers leaving. Uh, I liked Rogers when he was there. It just got really weird at the end, and now I'm I'm <laughs> I'm big on the Jordan Love, uh, so much so that my boss has told me he was buying me a Go Pack Go flag to uh, fly outside my house. Uh, that's how much I I've <laughs> talked about that at work. So that's that's a thing. That's the thing that's happening in my life. That feels this is what happens when you hit thirty eight. Feels traitorous. Uh, but anyway, this game I'm going with the Niners. Because they're just good. Uh, I I don't like Brock Purdy. Uh, I joked that he's a warlock. Uh, that's literally how I, I I Brock the warlock. That's what that's what I text in the uh, in the group chat. And uh, yeah, if you take him and put him in any other team, he is Mister Irrelevant. But the Shanahan offense is so good, and they ask him to do so little with such good role players around him that you're seeing, you know, what that looks like. And, yeah, it, 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 their defense is, is that good that they're going to shut down the, the, the Cowboys. So has, there ever the been, has, has there ever been any less of a Brock than Brock Purdy? Like, <laughs> stereotypical Brock. 
Yeah, the, he is not an '80s villain. Rock by Warlock, any means. man. <laughs> I just think uh, the the 49ers, It's it's Shanahan's offense plus Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he's yeah, he's healthy and he is just yeah, so ridiculously true. good. Um, you know, I don't know if we give MVPs to non quarterbacks anymore, but uh, McCaffrey's certainly going to put up an argument if he keeps playing the way he's been playing. So, yeah, I'll take the Niners. Well, I mean, you, if if the Niners have the best record in the league and you can't give it to Purdy, that's a good point. <laughs> you might have to do it with Christian McCaffrey, who would probably be the first MVP since like Adrian yeah. Peterson. Right. By the way, long. this is also my excuse for why the Browns should trade for Jonathan uh, Taylor. I'm good with it. I said he was not going to be in Indianapolis long. Do it. It's not my money. Spend it. I can't. I can't right. get started on that. That's well. That's a half hour. That's another half hour conversation. <laughs> we we are at yeah. one. We are at one oh, five. Yeah. Hour and five minutes in. I saw a tweet today that they said that they should trade him and just jettison Nick Chubb. Discuss. No. Um. Well, that, there's the Taylor bomb. Typical Taylor bomb. <laughs> oh, of course, throws a grenade, just leaves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Milder pick so you can try to. I can try to get a win Niners, here. Niners, Niners. If you hadn't figured it out by now, Niners. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna go the 49ers as well. Um, I don't trust the Cowboys in big situations at this point. <laughs> Maybe they can prove me wrong. Um, okay, and some weird week because we don't have the Browns to fall back on. We got Burrow pass yards over under 270 and a half. I want the over in the game, so I'll take the over in pass yards. I would, I will say under because he's been. I feel like he's been under so far this entire season. His, I'm gonna probably. I'm gonna say take, under. I'll take the under on that. I'm gonna say under. I've not liked the way he looks. The game per game. His per game kind of sucked because he posted like 82 in week one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if, if he does hit the over, congratulations. You beat beat the Cardinals and threw for 280. But I'm not seeing- His yards per game this year are 182. Wow. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> under 200. So yeah, I'm going to go I'm going to go under on uh 270. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go under as well. They kind of just got to prove it at this point. The yeah, um, the best argument for the over would just be that they're just so desperate, but I just I just have not liked the way Burrow has looked. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to change this just to make it a little more challenging. Um, Dolphins points, total points, over under against the Giants, mind you, over under 38 and a half. Oof. It's more fun to pick the over. It is more fun <laughs> to pick the over. Hammer the over. I'm going to hammer the over. Where's the I'll game say- at? If they put up 70, why can't they put up 40? It'll be like a 35-3 game. I, I just, or 35-10. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to say under 37-3. Right. <laughs> Gerbs is saying under due to lack of interest. Where is the game? Is it in uh, Miami? I think it's in New York. Let me see. Oh, no, it's in Miami. I'll take so the that, over. Yeah. Over. Uh, over. If it was in New York, I would have taken the under. I think uh, a lot of the Midwest is I mean, supposed to have some spotty was- weather this weekend. But uh, – in Miami, I'll take the over. Okay. Yeah, and with how the Giants' offenses looked, I expect the Miami to get the ball a ton. So give me the, the game over under is forty seven and a half. How much of oh, how geez. much of that is the Dolphins? There's a thirty six percent chance of afternoon thund- thunderstorms in Miami on Sunday. 
Yeah, but that Miami thunderstorms <laughs> don't count. Very true. Okay, we got Lamar Jackson in his first game against the Steelers in I think like two years or something, some weird thing. Um, over under total yards, 274 and a half. Under. Under. Eh. I'm going to yeah. go over. I think they're going to throw. I, I, I do not like the Pittsburgh secondary. It's Minka and nothing else. And Minka can go to hell. So. I, I agree with Gerbs. I, I, I told him that's a, pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I'll take the over. Do we going to tell him to go to hell too? Because that's yes. Go that's, to hell. that's the theme on this project. <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> meaning to tell you that for a long time. I hope he steps on Legos for the rest of his life. <laughs> Listen, we're here. Here's my amount of copium for the week. The week after the Chubb game. I DM for D and D. I made a villain named Finca Mitzpatrick, and I told him like, <laughs> "You guys can just kill him. Just kill him. I don't care." And that's that was how I got through. That's how I coped with my life that day. So perfect. It was a Monday night game. The Tuesday night was the D and D, and that's what we did. And uh, yeah, it worked out for me. I felt I felt better after that. So. <laughs> okay, we got CMC total yards. Over under 176 and a half. Ooh. That's so many yards. It is a lot. But I believe he can go over just because. That's the Cowboys defense. Uh, yeah, I'll take the over. Like I said, the over is more fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm leaning over. McCaffrey just looks un- totally unstoppable right now. I miss him. I miss him here. <laughs> it's fun times. Yeah. Keep forgetting you're in Charlotte. I know we say this every week. <laughs> it it yeah, it's like it's crazy to think he was really good with the Panthers and he's hit like another level with the Niners somehow. Like he was he was still elite with Carolina and now he's just like at this moment he's definitely the best well, running with back. With the Panthers, league. he was an ICBM. In Shanahan's offense, he's a tactical nuke. So like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm over on all, on the all-purpose yards, and it's it'll be like a hundred and receiving and eighty on the on the ground, and that'll be enough. Matt, what did you have? Over. I'm gonna take the under. I think the Cowboys are gonna try and force Brock Purdy to do anything else. Um, like screen pass to CMC. <laughs> we're, we're gonna make you use your other lethal weapon in Debo Samuel. We'll let him beat us. Yeah. Oh wait, he can take beat that. Us. Take that. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. We'll try to make you do use Brandon Ayuk. Mm-hmm. Oh wait. <laughs> um, CJ Stroud pass yards over under two two seventy and a half. They are against I'm, Atlanta in the dome. I'm riding the overs. I'm sticking with the over yeah. on this one. I I'm, I'm, CJ looks yeah, I'm so riding this good. I, I'm, he does. I'm over this one. Yeah, same. Yeah, over, over. Yo, did you say over as well? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I'm gonna do over. Um, I, I, well, partially because I don't think they have very much of a run game, so I think it's CJ Stroud or bust. Um, sticking with the same game, and this one was Gerb's idea. Falcons total wide receiver receptions over under five and a half. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and I, I brought this up, and I will say this. On the year, 
Only three wide receivers on the Falcons have caught passes. And of those of those three wide receivers, God. there have been only twenty one wide receiver receptions on the year. <laughs> three of those were from uh Kadero Hodge. So uh, yeah. It's great. It's great. You it's, you hear that stat and you would think like, oh well, they must just be throwing to Kyle Pitts all the time, but I don't think Kyle Pitts has that many receptions either, does he? So many fantasy owners have been complaining for the, about this for like two years now. Yeah. <laughs> he has not touched the ball yeah. at Kyle, all. Kyle Pitts might as well be just on the IR at this point. It's like, what they are the Falcons doing? He's just a figment of our imagination. Kyle Pitts has point. 21 targets and 11 receptions at this point in the season. Jeez. John oh Smith has 15 receptions. Bijan <laughs> is the... Bijan is the uh, the reception leader with 19. So yeah, two less than the wide receivers on the on the roster. I mean, I get it; he's a dynamic weapon, but Jesus Christ, like you can't throw to a wide receiver. It was like a, a couple of years ago when Baker Mayfield had all those touchdowns to tight ends and no more than three or two to any wide receiver. He just couldn't find a wide receiver in the end zone. Yeah. I, I looked it up. All right, there it is. Jarvis Landry had two. Nick Chubb had one. Demetric Felton had two. Harrison Bryant, Donovan Peoples-Jones had three. Wide receivers couldn't catch the ball in the end zone. Yeah, I'm going to say over, though, for five and a half. It's it's more fun to city over, and I think, you know, maybe they maybe they get it. Who knows? It, it's a low number. It is a low number. <laughs> it's such a it low is. number. I'd take the over, yeah. too. Uh, I'm going to take Matt. the under. Uh, just because, for me, that that's the more fun one this time. The, the under is more fun on this one. Yeah, like, I I, I got to go under because the track record is just screaming to go I, under. When, I, when it hits the over, that just puts me further in the lead ahead of you, too. <laughs> You've been tied with one of us at least every week this this year. Get him, you're still there. We always find the top one or two. <laughs> Watch this week. We're gonna we're gonna Kindred's we're gonna this uh, bullshit our way into a three way tie. <laughs> possible. <laughs> Very possible at this point. I think a couple of underdogs. So I get those extra points. So yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think that's about all we got. Um, Craig, Andrew, thanks for coming on and kind of rehashing that that discussion that was definitely more than more than i would have been able to provide but thanks for thanks for getting your mics back out and helping out in the browns yeah thanks for thanks for having me on it's been a while since i podcasted it was fun yeah good times good to see everybody okay gerbs matt i guess uh we'll we'll reconvene sometime next week to break down the 49ers yeah we don't have a we don't have a post game on Sunday, so I already. What are you guys gonna do on Sunday? Are you guys gonna <laughs> get a mow? I don't know. I have an association for that, so they do uh, it for me. I think you guys should do a, like a. I think you should fanfic a Browns game that happened this week and then break it down. <laughs> we leave that's, that to the Friday fumble. <laughs> okay, that's a Dave thing now. Hey. Yeah, I could do a Madden simulation and just yeah, break it right. down. <laughs> We, we go in Madden and just simulate the season a hundred times and see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Well, um, we will be back next. Um, 
that's uh, that's been another pretty pretty good Browns Browns pod, uh, Browns cast. Um, I keep wanting to call it Browns Pod. It's definitely not Browns Pod. <laughs> it is Browns cast. Need to get okay. that down. Um, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotis, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Chipotas. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.